0: Welcome to Power Lunch, the podcast from the Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy, where you can get smarter while eating your peanut butter and jelly sandwich over lunch. I'm your host, Aaron Clems, Director of Public Engagement here at the Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy. Power Lunch is a conversation with one of our experts recorded live. We live stream this conversation on Facebook Live and also make them available to you as an audio podcast. And in each episode, we focus on one aspect of MCEA's work to defend Minnesota's water, climate, air, and people. MCEA has been doing this work since 1974, and our lawyers, policy experts, legislative lobbyists, and mapping and GIS specialists give us a unique capacity to protect the Minnesota that you love. Today, we're talking to Kara Josephson. Kara is MCEA's legislative director. She leads our legislative team at the Capitol, and after working as a staffer for the state and local government committee for several years at the Minnesota Senate, Kara came to MCEA in fall of 2018, and this was her first session as MCEA's primary lobbyist. So we hope you learned something today that you didn't know about our work at the Minnesota Capitol. If you want to keep up with our work, please visit our website, www.mncenter.org, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at MCEA 1974. That's at MCEA 1974. If you'd like to support our work, please consider a donation, and just go to mncenter.org donate. And now, our Power Lunch conversation with Cara Josephson. So Cara, welcome to Power Lunch.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, we're great. We're very happy to have you here. Um, so tell me a little about your job at MCA. What is your job?
1: Sure. So I'm the legislative director at MCEA. So I'm um, you know the primary primarily responsible for advocating and advancing our legislative work at the Capitol. I work with our uh, program directors at MCEA, water program director, um, energy and climate program director, and shaping legislation, and then, you know, really working on the ground during legislative session to help um, advance, you know, our proactive bills, but then also keep an eye on some defensive work that we need to do, too, to protect our environmental laws here in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into into some really good specifics about what happened both in the kind of offensive realm of trying Mm -hmm. to get new and better policy, but also stopping some bad changes as well in a little bit. Um, how did you get involved in legislative work in the first place?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I've always actually really had an interest in um, politics and the legislature. I, my undergraduate degree uh, was in political science. Um, As soon as I graduated from college, I got an internship at the legislature and worked there for several years. I started out as a committee page, became a legislative assistant, then a committee administrator for the state and local government committee. And that is really where I think I developed um, a really strong interest in in lobbying and helping to advance legislation. Just kind of seeing things on the other side, and I really wanted. After spending several years there, I wanted to use my expertise and the legislative experience that I had, and then help um, you know organizations and environmental nonprofits in particular help advance um, their goals and really protect our environment because I think it is threatened, and we need a lot of people at the Capitol to help stop some some of the bad laws that are proposed.
0: Yeah. So you just said a minute ago that you got interested in doing lobbying work, but the word lobbyist is kind of a dirty word for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the biggest misconception is that people have when they hear that you're a lobbyist, or what, a, or, the, or what a lobbyist does?
1: Sure. Well, that's um, funny that you ask, because a lot of times when people ask me what I do, I, I do say that I work for an environmental environmental nonprofit instead of um, a lobbyist, which both are true, but that is kind of one of the first answers that I give. And a lot of that is, I think people just have a negative conception of lobbyists and they think that, you know, they're really all about um, profit. And I think, you know, that there's some um, mistrust in a Legislation, um, relationships between lobbyists and legislators, and kind of um, things like that. But Minnesota has actually really strict uh, policies and laws in place to protect corruption and things like that. I mean, um, there's a gift ban; lobbyists are prohibited from giving legislators a gift over five dollars. So I think there um, there are a lot of protections in place in Minnesota. So and then you know, working for an environmental nonprofit, you're usually outnumbered by <laughs> some <laughs> of the big lobbyists. So I think the traditional view of a Lobbyist um, is not really what um, what what we do here.
0: <laughs> so so I mean, let's talk a little bit more about that. So how does the work that you do as a lobbyist differ from some of your colleagues that are working for I don't know industry or for the Chamber of Commerce? Like how did how does the way that MCEA and the way that you do lobbying differ from the way that they do it?
1: Sure, uh, I mean of course there are Similarities in our approaches, but sure. I think um, the, probably the biggest difference is that we're really outnumbered, and a lot of that really does have to do with um, with funding. And I think a lot of the industry lobbyists, they're just they're they're well funded, they're better funded than we are, and they have um, a, a lot more lobbyists on the ground at the Capitol. They're able to hire, um, you know, big um, high. High profile law firms to help them. So Mm I think there are definitely differences there. And, uh, you know, I mean, as uh, working for environmental nonprofits, a lot of times too, you're uh, representing the people and not necessarily the industry or the corporations that do have more money. Right.
0: so, how do you keep from being overwhelmed? Then, I mean, like it's you know, I I think that the Chamber of Commerce has something like over twenty lobbyists, and you know, Excel Energy, the largest utility in the state, might have more than twenty lobbyists on the ground. Yes, these are some of the folks you go up against. So, how do you keep from just being overwhelmed by the money and numbers of industry?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the the biggest ways that um, that I do that, or that we do that as an organization at MCA, is to partner with other similarly, you know, similarly situated organizations. We've mm-hmm. got some great coalitions, and we work with a lot of other environmental organizations and broader beyond environmental organizations too. Um, when we have a an issue or a topic that you know we sh- have a shared um, policy position on, we a lot of times work together, and I think there's strength in numbers, and we can be more powerful in that way.
0: Right. That's a good point. So let's let's pivot a little bit and start thinking about what actually happened because I think one of the craziest things about the end of this legislative session was that we had this little mini special session, but it kind of felt like everybody thought the thing was over, but it wasn't. It was kind of like the end of one of the Lord of the Rings movies or something <laughs> where it should have ended three times and then actually did finally come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, so – Let's, but I think there's a lot of folks who just because of that, we never really had a chance to take a step back and say what happened here mm-hmm. and how what, what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. So what was the biggest win at the Capitol this session for the environment?
1: Uh, you know, I think one, um, one of the biggest wins actually happened uh, very early on in session. And it was the passage of House File 80, um, which was the – bill that fixed the unconstitutional rate of lottery funds that dedicated to environmental projects that was rated actually in the previous session in the 2018 bonding bill. Hmm. And this um, House File 80 uh, fixed that and restored the funding
0: to um, the way that it should be. So let's let's go back a little bit and think about that, what happened in 2018. So If I recall correctly, this happened right at the end of the session. There was a bonding bill and there was uh, some changes that were made at the very last moment before anyone had a chance to really look at them more carefully. What 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 got jammed into that, that bonding bill at the last minute?
1: Sure. So, yeah, the, you're right. It was the final hours of the 2018 legislative session. And I think um, what, ha- well, what happened, I think there are some legislators who just don't uh, really appreciate the Environmental Trust Fund. And we're using the fund as a um, new avenue to really raid um, bonding projects and and use it for bonding in in unconstitutional ways. And so... Um, they, What happened in the final hours, the, when the 2018 legislative session and the bonding bill was being passed, they rated an estimated $164 million from the fund. And it was really to pay the principal and interest on state bonding projects. And I should note that this had never been done in um, 30 years of the trust fund. So this was a novel, new approach. And a lot of environmental and conservation organizations um, and others, too, were very concerned that this new way of funding um, is unconstitutional use. Of funds and could set a precedent for future raids.
0: So where does this... Where is So this Environment and Natural Resources Trust Fund might be a f- term that's unfamiliar to folks. Mm-hmm. Where does that money come from?
1: Sure. It comes from um, lottery proceeds. And this was actually... Uh, the voters voted this and improved this um, back in 2008 as a constitutional amendment. So this is something that the uh, Minnesota voters a- approved.
0: Okay. So... Um, the lottery commercials that we're seeing now on the television that says like well, this 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 was brought to you by one billion dollars from from uh, lottery proceeds that that's the money we're talking about yes
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay and this goes back to like what nineteen eighty eight I think yeah. yes okay mm-hmm. yep so there's all this money in this pot how do they usually spend it um, well there's
1: usually there's uh, it's called the clean clean water fund and the
0: um, well, these are these are legacy okay. funds. So like, we're talking about like the the lottery funds. Sorry. So, like, no, that's okay. Are, there's so many. There's, yeah. This is one of those areas where there's so many yep. acronyms. It gets really confusing. Um, the,
1: so there yeah. is a there is a citizen-led commission called the LCCMR. It's the Legislative Citizens Commission yeah. on Minnesota Resources, and um, that is a citizen-led commission. So pointed um, or were, no, there are no sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Right. And they go through a process. They hear um, hundreds of proposals from various organizations, agencies, who all want to have um, – to w- are coming out with proposals to protect our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, very, you know, wonderful projects on the ground that can help um, various th- different um, areas. And – they go through a pretty rigorous process. The commission meets several times throughout the year. They have um, hours, you know, day-long hearings. They hear from all the different projects. And then once they thoroughly vet the projects, they come up with a set of recommendations and they send those on to the legislature. And then the legislature approves those um Recommended projects, and this year was kind of unique because the um, Senate actually was trying in their bill, um, their environment bill, they were really deviated from a lot of the citizen-led recommendations. Um, mm. So that was kind of a an interesting. Con-
0: so basically, like both last year and then again this year, there were efforts that were done to try to go around the recommendations of this citizen commission and insert some different different ways of spending that money. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't constitutional because it was this bonding approach where they would take it and basically say for the next 20 years you have to pay the interest on this bond. Is that right?
1: Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's also the constitutionality issue, you know, of um, supplementing versus supplanting, and that was part of the, the lawsuit that we filed. And yeah. So,
0: so this, was, this is about the question of whether or not this money is new, extra money. Because when voters approved this fund, they wanted it to be used to add to the work that we're doing to protect the environment, not just replace other existing sources of money. Yes, exactly. Cool. So the upshot of all that now is that – so this money remains in the fund and is available to be spent on projects. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some examples of some of the projects that might get funded now or that did get funded because um, we defended that fund with both a lawsuit and some of the legislative work that we did?
1: Um.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a one. There's at least the one that we worked on that you worked on when you were in your previous job too, right? Yes, I mean. yes.
1: I mean, yes. There is uh, one project to um, bring kids up to the boundary waters that may otherwise not have the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of um, you know really good um, research projects at the U of M that are being funded. Uh, you know, a lot of um, local governments too that are getting needed.
0: Um, yeah, I and mean, this is a lot of the kind of stuff that you know is desperately needed, but are are the kinds of priorities that don't easily easily get funded. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's why they come to the, the LCCMR, the Legislative Citizen Commission, to try to get funding for them. Yes, mm-hmm. right on. So we uh, successfully. So this this is kind of a cool story, I think, that to end end with at least to say that the Governor Walls had the first bill that he signed was mm-hmm. this bill.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think that our um, the lawsuit, I should add that, so we filed a, um, a lawsuit on behalf of several environmental and conservation organizations, and MCEA was the attorney for for those groups. And I do think that that helped um, put pressure on the legislators and on the governor to do to do that fix early on in session.
0: So this is a good example of where the, the ability to use the tool of the of the legal tools that we have at MCEA, combined with our ability to work at the legislature, work together to try to achieve an outcome
1: then. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, so that was a really cool win to start the session. How, well, let's go to the end then, and just, I'll just kind of ask it this way. Like, what was the end result? Was this a win for the environment? Was it a loss for the environment, or was it a draw?
1: Sure. Um, i I'd say it. It was a draw. I mean, there was um, a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of, you know, legislation to roll back our environmental laws that was pushed by the businesses and industry that we helped to stop and that that did not become law. Um, But on the flip side, there were a lot of really, you know, wonderful pieces of legislation in the energy realm, for example, that did not become law. So really, at the end of the day, so much got tied up into the budget negotiations and really with a divided government um, you know that not a lot got done I mean they they finished um, with the special session and did did complete the budget but beyond that it really wasn't a whole lot of significance that, that got done. So I would say it's a draw, yeah, especially I mean, for the environment.
0: <laughs> and there was a lot of emphasis early on in the session of, there was a lot of hearings in the House Climate and Energy Committee looking at the mm-hmm. impact of climate change and the needed policy changes that are that need to, to be ta- undertaken in order to address this climate crisis. What so you're saying there wasn't much progress, if any progress made, on energy and climate issues?
1: No, unfortunately not. I mean, there was a lot, as you mentioned, a lot of energy um, from from people. I mean, a lot of people showed up. There were hours of, of testimony in committees, hearings. Um, and I have heard from several legislators, actually, that climate change and climate issues were one of the top um, issues that they heard the most about. This session, um, but unfortunately, again, because of the divided government, uh, and because of you know largely, honestly, the Senate, they really put up a roadblock to passing um, some legislation that you know the House was pushing and uh, the governor, um, for example, a hundred percent renewable energy standard by by 2050. Um, you know, a lot of other there's, there's a Green New Deal that was introduced late in session. Um, a lot of really proactive um, policies.
0: So, what are the prospects for those things coming back? I mean, are these are these ideas dead now, or are we going to hear more about climate and energy issues at the Capitol in 2020?
1: Oh, I would imagine it's going to be a, a top issue that, you know, legislators are going to be hearing a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I mean, the the makeup is still going to be the same. There's still going to be the same committee chairs, uh, same, same leadership. So I don't know, especially on the Senate side, really what is going to change between now and, you know, next legislative session. Um, and then also the reality is that it's going to be uh, it's an election year, too. So I'm sure a lot of, you know, legislators will have that top on their mind. But at the same time, um, you know, they really, uh, vers- legislators respond to their constituents. So I think the more that legislators can hear directly from their constituents on the importance of that issue, that can help.
0: Right. So there were also some really bad ideas that got killed at the, at the Capitol this year. Um, what were some of the worst ideas that were in play during the end of the session negotiations? Because I know that you were up there, practically 24/7 in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks just trying to keep an eye on some of the these bad ideas and making sure they didn't become law. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the worst ideas that were that were put forward?
1: Sure. Yeah, there were a number of them and as I mentioned earlier largely pushed by the industry and um, for example some of these that were uh, we've we had been around in previous sessions too. Um, one was to give um, industrial polluters up to sixteen years to meet stronger wall- water quality standards. Um, sixteen years is a long time. Uh, another another one was requiring a social permit to adopt new water quality standards. So and what's the
0: social permit?
1: Yeah, that's about. kind of an interesting one. So that. <sighs> Um, that would require would basically give um, veto authority to one county. So all eighty-seven counties must approve um, adoption of stronger water, water quality standards, which seems
0: well. When was the last time all eighty-seven county boards in Minnesota did anything together? Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if that has ever <laughs> happened before. I, I don't know. <laughs> so this was basically just an attempt to make it so that you could never adopt a stronger water quality standard.
1: Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And we saw. You know, there were other similar. Um, Basically, it's just a, a desire to loosen our environmental... Um, our environmental laws and protections that we have here. And that's what a lot of these um, that, were, that we saw. Yeah. Um, another one that was kind of interesting too was that it would um, allow the sale of state mineral leases for brines and non-fuel gases. And that was added um, on as an amendment very late on, you know, late in the process. And it didn't receive um, a hearing in the appropriate policy committee. So we raised that kind of as a procedural issue and, um, you know, that I think you know. Luckily, none of the um, policy provisions I just mentioned were passed
0: into law. So, so they were pulled out. Like, so there was this process that happened at the end where there's there's a conference committee and they were making offers back and forth. These yes. were never agreed to by both sides. Then
1: exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and I should mention it was the um, the Senate that was, you know, pushing pushing most of these, and then the House was kind of fighting back against them. So it really it. A lot of this, this session all came back to the divided government that we had.
0: Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, besides bad ideas that didn't become law, there were also mm-hmm. good ideas that didn't become law either, mm-hmm. right? So yes. what were some of the good ideas that we saw that either the MCEA worked, in, worked to try to get passed or tried to support um, that didn't happen this year but might come back next year?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I think one really wonderful bill that would be great to to back into law and that would um, really give a lot more power to citizens would be to uh, re-establish the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency Citizen Board. It was actually removed um, uh, a few years ago. And I think just now we're really seeing a need for it. And we tried, you know, we were. One of many groups that asked for it to be reinstated this session, um, it did not. I think next session, that's something that you know we would like to push again because it really gives an opportunity for um, citizens to provide more of an oversight role to the MPCA. And I think that's important.
0: Yeah, I mean, just, just this Sunday, of course, there was an editorial in the Star Tribune that called for investigation of some of the MPCA's actions around the PolyMet permit. Mm-hmm. And in previous years... Before the MPCA Citizens Board was repealed, you would have had to have gotten that permit approved by this group of citizens before it could be issued, right? hmm So this might have changed the game.
1: Exactly. That's a perfect example of, you know, where the MPCA Citizens Board could be very useful. And, yes, so I definitely see that um, coming back or hopefully coming back the
0: even, next section. With even more reasons to do it. You yes. Know, so besides the MPCA Citizens Board, what else are good ideas that should be reconsidered in 2020?
1: Yes. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I mentioned this before, but I think it's really important, um, given you know uh, everything that we're seeing in the news and hearing about with climate change and how we need to take action. And time is running out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Governor Walls and the House proposed this, um, you know, 100% carbon-free electricity by 2050. That seems like a really that's an easy step. Other states are doing it. I mean, there's clearly the momentum and energy there um, from from the people here. I mean, we. There was a 100 percent rally at the Capitol towards the end of session. Hundreds of people showed up. Mm-hmm. I mean the, the, the will is there. The, the need is there. We just um, really need to get the Senate to, to come around on that.
0: Right on. Um, there was one other item that I thought was really interesting that, the, that didn't become law but it looked like it was going to, which was a ban on a chemical. Called trichloroethylene, and it's mm-hmm. it was a subject of an air pollution case in White Bear Lake, but it's been a problem in Minnesota's groundwater, particularly for many, many years, many decades, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened with that? What's that? What What happened that this bill? It sounded like this was going to pass, and then all of a sudden, it didn't.
1: Yes, um, and actually, there was uh, initially there was bipartisan support for it. Um, members, you know, from from both bodies, both sides of the aisle, supported this. Uh, there was a very active group of. Um, of citizens from White Bear Lake who live near the affected area, and they were at, at the Capitol lobbying. I mean, it everything looked like you know, it, toward even this was into the very end of session, and it looked like it was going to pass. And then um, during those negotiations that you mentioned that happened at the very end, um, you know, where there was back and forth between the chairs and majority leaders, most of which was which was happening behind closed doors mm-hmm. and at late hours, um, that TCE ban bill and got dropped and it was not included and we later learned that the reason for that was pressure from the chamber chamber of commerce chamber which is commerce. the um, you know the industry
0: so this raises another like more more broad question because there was this phenomena at the end of the session where you had you know they, they talked about the cone of silence and they did the negotiation about the the shape of the budget between mm-hmm. governor walls uh, speaker hortman and majority leader gazelka the three main players in this budget negotiation. But after that was over, they basically gave this back to all these committee chairs and then they negotiated behind closed doors for these policy provisions that got included. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of talk early in the session about like, Negotiating in public and having conference committees where everything was happening in public testimony. Mm -hmm. Did we make any progress this session on like opening up this process or is it just getting more closed and more behind closed doors?
1: You know, early on, I mean, there were a lot of committee hearings and there was a lot of public testimony. So that did happen. But when the actual decisions were being made at the end of the session, a lot of it was behind closed doors. So I really don't think. Much has changed. I don't know if it's necessarily gotten worse, but I think, you know, it, it, it really seemed the same. So I yeah. think, you know, to the extent that um, citizens can continue to contact their legislators and ask for a little bit more transparency, I think that that might be helpful. And I know Senator Marty has a bill to um, reform some of that, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of folks don't understand that the Capitol. There's no open meetings law that applies at the Capitol. Exactly, it applies to every other unit of government in the yes. state of Minnesota, but not not the Minnesota Legislature.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. that's why it's it's important yeah. sometimes at the very end of session, that last you know that last week, that last weekend, when they're there at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night, to just. Just be there. Just show up and be there. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, that, and that's a lot of what MCEA does is we're that group of people that are there at 10 o'clock at night on Friday to make sure that these things don't get slipped into bills and then we find out two weeks later what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not easy work, but it's something that's absolutely essential. Um, what can we look forward to in 2020? I mean, like, what, are, like, what are the kind of general question, the general shape of the next session? Because mm-hmm. I know 2019 is a budget year yes. and so it tends to take up all the oxygen in the room. Um, but what happens in twenty twenty,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how will that change the way we think about this session?
1: Yeah, so you're right. I mean, this session being a budget year, pretty much everything was tied up in in the budget negotiations, and it all depended on that. And they were, you know, became policies that shouldn't have been involved with the budget became part of the bargaining chips that Mm -hmm. were traded. And so this coming session, it's a bonding year. So we're not going to see that, hopefully, (laughs) as much. Um, So the focus will hopefully be on a, a bonding bill, a strong bonding bill. And um, also policy. So I think that allows more room for independent policy to move forward and not get tied up with the budget negotiations. But as I mentioned earlier, one thing to keep in mind, it is an election year. So everyone will mm-hmm. be up for re-election in 2020. So that will be um, likely on the top of um, legislators' minds and will dictate you know, a lot of the decisions that they make.
0: So they'll see a lot of people trying to make, make the other side, quote unquote, take bad votes, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Where they... Um, Think that they can take advantage of that for the election?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a positive, though, is that they may be more receptive to their constituents. Right. Um, so – and be especially sensitive to, to what they want. So the more that constituents can contact their legislators about um, environment and climate issues, I think that's – that will be helpful.
0: Yeah. So – You mentioned a moment ago that maybe there would be some more space for policy bills to kind of get traction in next year's legislature because there's not as much emphasis on the budget. Mm -hmm. And MCEA worked with legislators to introduce two different bills this session that didn't get hearings. Yes. But we think both represent pretty good ideas. Can you talk a little bit about the bills that MCEA worked with legislators to get introduced last session?
1: Sure. Yes. Um, So one – we had two bills. One was to – kind of a novel approach to – address um, source water and increase source water protection for individual well owners. Um, There were two parts to the bill. One would have provided reimbursement to well owners um, who have high levels of um, pollution in their wells, like, um, for example, nitrates. Uh, and there are several, uh, especially in southern Minnesota, there's um, some alarmingly high levels of nitrate in drinking water. And so our, our idea was to use an already existing fund that um, gets its fees from pesticides um, and fertilizer fees and to use that fund to mitigate these well owners who are looking to upgrade Um, their wells in order to have safe drinking water. Mm -hmm. The second part was um, uh, just a a clean water fund appropriation to um, MDH. It's a Minnesota Department of Health for well mitigation. So we're really focusing with that bill on um, private well owners and just making sure that they have a way to have safe drinking water.
0: And then, and so there's a new rule that's just coming into effect very soon yes. that addresses some of the, some of the issues around nitrogen and nitrate in wells. But th- that, to my understanding, that doesn't affect private well owners at all, right? Uh, no,
1: it does not. It's just for public well owners.
0: So this would have been an attempt to get some resources to people whose wells were polluted, so they could have clean drinking water. Yes. And mm-hmm. this bill didn't get a hearing. Then is that right?
1: It did not. No. Okay. Um, no. So.
0: It sounds like such a good idea. It is, yes, <laughs> you yes, know? yes, but um, how much does it cost to, to drill a new well or to you know, put in it, treatment systems? Thousands,
1: for, uh, thousands of dollars, I mean, upwards of ten thousand dollars. You know, it's it's expensive. And right um, now, this
0: would fall just entirely on the person who owns that well and who's trying to provide drinking water for their family.
1: Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And well, the, I should say though some of the pushback was from um, the fee that we were looking at to get the funds from, and so this. Um, the board of uh, that that fund, I think they are very protective of it, and there were some concerns there. So there's, I guess, still some more some sure. more work to do. Although it is a great idea, yeah. and we had legislature support behind it, so definitely work to um, to
0: be yeah. more work. To who are, do who next is the session. chief author of that in the house? Um,
1: Representative Lippert.
0: Okay, so he's from Northfield, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: one of the affected areas that has high high levels of um, of you know arsenic and in nitrate in there.
0: Okay. There was a second bill that got introduced uh, late in the session as well that got a little bit more press, too. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that was a 21st century mining bill. And it was modeled after legislation, very similar legislation that passed in Montana that was actually um, led by the industry mining industry and supported hmm. by the mine, mining industry in Montana. And essentially it just adds um, updates the standards to add kind of an extra layer of um, protection for um, the mine tailing dams in particular. And um, just it requires independent oversight, uh, independent engineers um, to review and just add some extra protections in place.
0: So And so you said this this is a bill that was passed in Montana.
1: Yes, which is a, yes, bipartisan, um, largely Republican, actually, (laughs) state. And yes, it passed um, with support and it was led by the
0: mining industry. When you say it was led by the mining industry, what does that mean? Like, did they write the bill?
1: They, um, yeah, they were the ones who really were pushing the bill in the state, yes. Mm -hmm. So So it's a very, very moderate, uh, very moderate approach to a bill. In fact, so moderate that I think some um, environmental groups may not support it because they don't won't think that it goes far enough all <laughs> well, right and
0: you know and I from my from what I've read about this bill it sounded like that in Montana it kind of got uh, you know it got I got a thumbs up from the environmental groups but it was kind of a half-hearted thumbs up
1: yes mm-hmm yep
0: it, it does it does some good things but it doesn't doesn't address the whole problem in the yes way it's comprehensive enough yes mm-hmm so, so I assume then that this bill was welcomed with open arms by the industry here because it was written by the industry in Montana and that Republicans here in Minnesota were enthusiastic about it because it was passed by a Republican legislature in Montana. Was that is that true?
1: Oh, I wish it was. Oh, come on. <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, that's – kind of what we were thinking. I mean, we really were intentionally, you know, coming up with this very moderate approach because we know how politically sensitive the issue of copper nickel mining is here in our state. And so we thought that this would be a good way to, you know, address some of the issues around the safety concerns of the tailings dam, but also, um, you know, maybe just kind of a a small step going forward. And no, we were um, met with resistance. Um, It was, very difficult, actually, to even find um, a willing author, to chief author in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was um, unfortunate we did not get a hearing. Um, in fact, it was so difficult to find it Um authors on the bill that we introduced it fairly late in, in session. So,
0: But ultimately, there were a set of people who put their name to this bill and are working yes. hard for it. Oh, too, absolutely. Yes. So, um, in the House, who's the author that um, is moving this bill forward?
1: Yep. Um, Representative Steve Sandel, and he represents the Woodbury area.
0: Okay. And the Senate, um, which is controlled, as you know, by Republicans, mm-hmm. it really helps to have a Republican author. And I believe there is a Republican author of that. Yes. Bill, right? Yep.
1: Senator Paul Anderson.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, so
1: it's a bipartisan. We have, a, you know, a bipartisan bill. Um, And, you know, we did have very um, good, uh, productive conversations with a lot of legislators and some who we may not have otherwise spoken to. So that was that was, um, you know, really positive. And just, I think, to get legislators thinking about, you know, the tailing dams and the safety concerns around it and ways that they can help address it. And that's something that this bill bill provides.
0: Yeah. So for those folks who don't know i mean the the way minnesota does legislative work is kind of on a 2 year cycle as opposed to a 1 year cycle we like to talk about this session yes. as, as if it's a single year mm-hmm. Um, so what happens with these bills now? They, they've been introduced late in the session. They haven't gotten a hearing. do they have to start from scratch? or No. No. No.
1: no. Good news. No. So the bill, um, so the way the legislature works, it works um, operates on a biennium. So the first legislative um, session of each biennium, which we talked about, which was this last year, it was a budget year. And then the second legislative session of the biennium is a bonding year. And so that we're coming up into the second year of the biennium. Hmm. So all of the bills introduced are still there. We will start day one on the legislative session with all the bills from last session. So you know if the desire is there legislators could schedule a hearing on on day one of the bill.
0: <laughs> so there are like there's been like 3,000 bills in each the House and the Senate yes and all of them are still alive is yes. what you're saying
1: mm-hmm. They're yes. not even
0: mostly dead they're yes. just they're totally alive.
1: Yes, they're alive and it is not a budget year so there could be several policy committee bills that yeah. get passed this session.
0: but but as you said earlier, the, the makeup of the legislature hasn't changed. Yes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that we're getting in the way of moving these bills forward then will still be in place.
1: Yes, they will. Yep.
0: Okay. Um, so it's early. You know, I know we're still kind of, you know, I think the next session begins in February of 2020. Mm-hmm. So we're still more than six months away. Mm-hmm. So you're just taking a few months off then, right? You're just chilling. You're not going to do a long vacation.
1: <laughs> no, no. There's always work to be done. Okay. Um, I mean, we've done a lot of kind of recapping of what happened this past session and, you know, talking to our our supporters and other groups and kind of doing a lot of that work. But we're already looking towards next session, starting to have meetings, um, you know, with different legislators, different coalition groups, really trying and agency staff as well and trying to figure out, um, develop our policy priorities, also seeing Mm -hmm. what other other folks are working on and ways that we can partner with them and, you know, work together going forward for next session, kind of be strategic. And we've already been meeting with some legislators, too. So...
0: Great. So for the folks out there who are not necessarily deeply involved in this, but want to learn more and stay involved, what are some of the ways that they can stay involved, know what MCEA is working on, and make sure that they have the information that they need to talk to their legislators when issues that they care about come up?
1: Sure. Well, they're, first of all, sign up for a legislative update. Um, that's number one. You can find that on our website. We send out um, weekly during session, weekly legislative update. Mm-hmm. And so definitely do that. Also, uh, if you go to the Secretary of State or Legislature's homepage um, and just type, you know, find my legislator, you can type in your address and you can find out who your representative is and who your senator is. And that's something I would encourage everyone to go to. Um, find out who they are. Contact them share with them um, the issues you care about. That is very
0: important. I mean, I just want to, before we conclude, I just want to go back to what you just said, which is I think one of the challenges of working at the legislature, especially for folks who are just everyday people who just care about the way the environment is treated at the Capitol, they think they can't make a difference um, or that their Mm -hmm. voice doesn't matter or that no one will listen to them anyway. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that you think it really does make a difference. It does. Yes. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Having worked at the legislature, I mean, I, you know, I, I, he used to work for um, senators and I directly witnessed them respond to constituents and saw how, uh, you know, sometimes number of responses too from constituents dictated and helped shaped how they voted on certain issues.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really critical to hear that and and, and, and to understand that part of your job as a, as, a, as an informed citizen who cares about these issues is to make yourself not only aware of what's going on, which we will help do, that's what MCA will do mm-hmm. for you, but that you can also take the next step and then reach out to your. Legislator, and even if it's as general as I care about climate and I want to make sure that I have a livable climate for my grandchildren, Mm -hmm. that's a message that matters. Exactly. Uh, And it might get them to take an action that otherwise they wouldn't take. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. You don't have to be an expert on the issue. The legislators are not expecting that. They have people they can turn to. They just want to hear directly from you and what you care about.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Kara. We really appreciate the time today.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Um, So, 2019 was a really important year at the Capitol, and it's shaping up to be a big year in the courts as well. We have seven court cases currently working through the system right now on PolyMet. Um, We're working on other issues involving climate change, uh, making sure that there is good renewable transmission lines available to move wind power and solar power to market. Uh, And all these decisions will be made in the context of an election, as Kara was saying in 2020. These will still affect our climate, our drinking water. And the real question is, will we start taking the bold actions that are needed to protect our water, to protect our climate, and make sure that we're leaving a livable, healthy environment for our children and grandchildren? And that's what this work is designed to do. Um, And as we said, you have a stake in these important decisions and a say in these decisions as well. So please feel free and please take advantage of MCEA's resources to help you be able to do that work yourself. First of all, our website, www.mncenter.org, has links to a lot of resources that are available about our program work, current actions that are happening, um, and the most up-to-date information is, of course, on social media. So we are on Twitter and Facebook, and we both have our handle at mcea1974. That's mcea1974. As Cara mentioned, we do a weekly email update during the legislative session. We're, we're past that right now, but if you sign up now, you'll be on the list as soon as we get started again, and we will put out any updates that are relevant during the time between these sessions. You can sign up either at our website under legis- at the legislature, or you can go to a short link, bit.ly slash mcea legislative update. That's bit.ly slash mcea legislative update. Lastly, we can't do this work without you. If you want to help our work defending Minnesota's environment, the legislature, please consider a contribution to MCEA. Go to www.mncenter.org slash donate. That's mncenter.org slash donate. This has been MCEA's Power Lunch with Cara Josephson. Thanks for listening. This is Aaron Clem signing off, and we hope you'll share your lunchtime again with us soon. Have a great day.